Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're going to welcome DJ Fielding, an actor who has embraced his legacy as Zordon from the Power Rangers. Let's get started. On mic today, we have DJ Fielding, the star of many, many iterations of Power Rangers. And I normally I get a little bit apprehensive over Skype chats because it's a little off-putting to just talk to a giant head. But in your case, <laughs> it actually works for me. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm kind of familiar with the whole environment, so yeah. <laughs> so you've really embraced the fandom and, and your, your role as Zordon, and it's it's just become a part of your internet presence. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was away from the show for a long time, and um, when I got re- reintroduced to it, uh, it, it kind of took me by surprise how... Uh, how much the character meant to a lot of people. Uh, so uh, uh, I try to honor that and to um, uh, connect with them as much as possible because the show does mean a lot to a lot of people. So uh, I just try to, to try to keep up that. So It really does. I was kind of surprised when the, the show first started making it, getting a bigger presence in conventions around, I guess it was probably 2010, 2011 when it started you know, the, the actors started getting uh, parts at conventions and the people just flocked to it. It was like a practically as big as Star Trek or Star Wars or any of the other big, big draws. It's, it's just as big as that these days. And it it was just people who were, I, I call it doubling back on the fandom, is when people who were into it as kids now have kids who can be into it and they can get into it together. Yeah, and... Uh... Their kids are having kids, so we're starting to get into that third generation of uh, of fandom. So yeah, I mean it's it's really sort of a gift that keeps on giving. So we're we're happy to go out when they ask us to and uh, chat about things, and uh, it's just been really wonderful the whole time. And speaking of chatting, I mean, following you on social media, you really seem to have a, a, a generally an appreciation for not getting into drama and and just enjoying works for what they are and i do find that to be a breath of fresh air yeah i mean i i have been guilty uh, a couple of times of uh i wouldn't call them spats but i mean I, I i do have some strong opinions about some things and um but i i generally try to keep it very drama free because there's already so much drama out in the world and and i'd much rather concentrate on stuff that's that moves us forward that keeps things positive and and uh, i think we need that nowadays so I, I can agree with that i can agree with that a great deal yeah. um in fact i you know had some chats with some people who were never really for example just take power rangers into the show and they say well why would you watch it and i say well number one i like giant monster smashing things it's kind of a personal <laughs> preference of mine but also the stories were fairly harmless in the grand scheme of things it was just something you could let the kids watch to blow off a little bit of steam they, they were silly but they were harmless and sometimes that's enough sometimes just letting somebody have a little silly release valve can be great yeah and the the show was uh uh unique in the fact that it was diverse right from the get-go and they and it wasn't anything that they really talked about it was just accepted and they moved forward with it and uh, I think that underlying unconscious unspoken message 
really, you know, reaches out to a wide swath of people. So I think that's what, another reason why it's lasted so long and why it continues to last. Mm-hmm. Another really good message, not only were the, the core team members diverse ethnically and they were diverse in terms of how they acted, but even the bullies who could have been the, the enemies, quote unquote, were portrayed as being basically good at heart, maybe a little mixed up, but not the worst people in the world. And yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's a good message, too. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're talking about Bulk and Skull, the, mm-hmm. those two are, they are the heart and soul of Power Rangers. I yes. mean, they, they have one of the greatest arcs in a television series. I mean, they, they, they start off as these, these bumbling tools, mm-hmm. and by the end of it, they have embraced their own inner hero and rise up and, uh, you know, they they are the good guys. And, and that's awesome. And, and Paul Schreier and Jason Narvey are two of the most <laughs> wonderful people you'll ever get a chance to meet. So if, if you we get a chance good times. to them, yeah, good guys. Uh, I was at a, a convention with them and, and Catherine Sutherland a couple of years back. Uh, I was there before the show opened. I was, I was working there, actually. And uh, I got there just as they had grabbed this giant roll of pink duct tape and were defacing Catherine Sutherland's giant picture on the wall with a pirate beard and an eye patch. And I just looked at them and said, you know, this is exactly what your characters would have done on the show. Right. And they said, yeah. Okay. Just as long as we're clear on that, continue, proceed. Don't let me stop you. Yeah. Yeah. This is a genuine camaraderie among um, the, the actors on the show is what I'm feeling. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what it is about the the casting process, or uh, but they they the show always seems to laser in on people that that are just really really good at heart and get along with everybody, and um, it's it's just wonderful to, to be a part of that little family. So you can definitely get the sense whenever you get everybody on a panel or even just at behind a booth, it's it's a genuine back and forth. It's a real personalities coming through yeah yeah but speaking of genuine you you became an author too didn't you uh i am an author yes uh i uh have had a number of my short stories published i have a novel coming out later this year uh hopefully before october and uh that's sort of where my career is now i i am writing every day uh uh and that's that's really where my passion is right now so i'm i'm really enjoying that that part of my journey. So, can can you share any of, of what you're working on or what's inspiring you right now? Sure. Uh, the novel that I have coming out is called Glimpse. It's a paranormal urban fantasy uh, and concerns uh, my main character, whose name is Lincoln Bright, who uh, can see and hear things that have been left behind by those people that have passed away, and those things are. Uh, he doesn't call them ghosts. Uh, most people might think of them in that way, but they're not. They're uh, in in his parlance, they're they're called glims, and they're not something you want to mess around with. And if they stick around too long, then they start opening the doorways for other nasty things to crawl through. So it's his job to sort of like try to stop them before that happens. Fascinating. Yeah. And the urban fantasy is is a, an up and coming genre. It doesn't get enough love, I don't think. Yeah, a lot of it is uh, concerns itself with magicians and and uh, that that side of the supernatural. This this one is a little bit more 
it, it doesn't have a lot to do with magic. It has a lot to do with um, um, the paranormal, the, the ghost-like entities, the, the negative emotions that we carry with us that sometimes get left behind to continue to wreak havoc through other people's lives. Wow, so it's it's, it's almost like a, a, a manifestation of karma or... or... Yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, uh, I think there's some element to that in it, yeah. Okay, very interesting, very interesting. So is, uh, is that what you kind of like reading on your own when you get the chance? You taken from... I I have a I have a wide uh, area. I, I have a lot of interest in, in different subjects, uh, but I grew up reading um, Edgar Rice Burroughs and um, Doc Savage and The Spider and uh, a lot of pulp novels, Conan the Barbarian, Princess of Mars, that kind of stuff. And then I, from that, I segued into comic books and, and graphic novels. And from there, I moved on to um, uh, what they call men's adventure tales with The Executioner and uh, Mac Bolan and Remo Williams and that kind of thing. And then, then that led me into um, uh, darker territory along the lines of uh, Stephen King and... Uh, uh, the the occult supernatural novels that that really sort of like captured the mid to late 70s early 80s era and of course Stephen King uh, was so prolific and wrote was writing so much and uh, when I was a, a late teen young adult that I just devoured that stuff as as soon as it came out and uh, then you know moved on from there to Ed Rice and uh, just read as and as much as i can of of various subjects and so i think a lot of that stuff uh uh influences the stuff that i like to write about because a lot of my short stories are very uh they're very pulpy they're very action oriented adventure oriented and um <laughs> what's interesting is i don't like scary movies i mm -hmm. i i i won't go see slasher movies i won't go see um uh, what they call horror movies or, or something like that, mm -hmm. simply because I am not a fan of the jump scare. I think that's um, cheap. <laughs> it's 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 not necessarily cheap, uh, but it 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 makes me jump, and and I don't like that feeling. I I know a lot of a lot of people like it. They it's like riding a roller coaster. It's that you know flirting with fear, death kind of thing. But anytime there's a jump scare in a movie, and even it doesn't have to be a, a horror movie, you know, it could be any sort of movie where a cat jumps out of a window or or whatever. I mean, it, it always catches me off guard, and and I hate that. <laughs> so uh, that, that's the number one reason why I don't go see scary movies. Uh, we were at a convention a couple of weeks ago, and Austin St. John was like, he wanted he wanted to go see Scary Stories They Tell in the Dark, which is a movie that's out now. And he's like, you got to come with me. You got to come with me. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go because I'm not going to sit there in the theater <laughs> and jump out of my chair when something happens. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I do I do enjoy writing about um, uh, stuff that's spooky, stuff that uh, could could actually happen, could, uh, you know, that that tries to explain weird things that that happen in the world that um that we all sort of experience on one level or another.
Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really, really glad this conversation went in the direction of Stephen King, because when you were describing your work, me had, knowing nothing about it, I was like, man, that sounds like something that Stephen King would eat up with a spoon. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm uh, hopefully I mean, um, my editor really likes it. I really like it. The, uh, uh, the few people that I've uh, had the, the fortunate pleasure of they, they get a chance to read it, uh, have all really enjoyed it. So. Uh, I hope that when it gets out into public hands, they enjoy it too. And uh, to be compared to somebody like that is, is uh, um, you know, would, would be uh, uh, wonderful if, if something like that happened. I mean, I, I don't think I'm at that level, uh, but who knows? Maybe one day. <laughs> even, Maybe. Though, yeah, even though he started when he was so young, you know, just sending stuff out. And I didn't get braved enough enough to do that until my late 40s. So. Well, it's it's not easy, you know. The rejection letters they do sting. Well, uh, as an actor, uh, you learn really quickly to develop quite a, a thick skin. And uh, it was either Stephen King or or somebody else who said that every pink rejection slip I get is a badge of honor. And that's just you know what that tells me is that somebody read it and somebody had an opinion about it. It may not be you know one of the the opinion that I wanted it to be, uh, but uh, that tells you that you're you're at least on the right track, and and no matter how many rejection slips you get, eventually somebody's going to say, yeah, I like this, let's let's go with it. And so uh, I looked at every rejection that I ever got about something as just a stepping stone to uh, making it better than what it was before, uh, getting a chance to rework an idea or to rewrite a section of a story or whatever, make it better, to make it the best that it can. So. That, that's how I look at rejection anyway. I mean, <clears throat> I tweeted earlier today that I, uh, I get very tired of the whole um, competition sort of framework that a lot of media and pop culture stuff gets referenced into. Uh, you see it all the time. There's uh, is Darkseid better than Thanos or uh, is the Red Ranger better than the Green Ranger? And, and just this sort of uh, idea that everything has to be a head-to-head -head competition, winner and a loser type of mentality. And I, I get really tired of that uh, because not everything has to be a competition. Uh, when I was when I was acting and I would audition for parts, I wasn't competing with other actors for the role. I was competing with whatever idea the director or the producer or uh, the stage director had in mind for for that particular character. And if I didn't look the way that they had imagined, if I if I didn't move in a certain way, um, you know, then that was up to them. I, I had no control over that. So the only thing I could do the only person I could really compete with was myself to to learn to be better, to to uh, understand the script better, to to tr to make a different choice every time I auditioned. So it wasn't that I was competing against you know fifteen hundred other guys. It was just me trying to do the best that I can with the tools that I was given to open up that director's eye and say, oh, I can see that and. So that's how I always look at it. But yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point that 
and I, that was one of my favorite posts of yours over the past couple of weeks is just not everything has to be a competition that and that it's it's even so silly that people try to compare two things that really have nothing to do with each other and were made by completely different people and completely different mindsets just let everything be what it is well i mean we're we're such social creatures and and we're drawn towards controversy and anything that pushes somebody's button uh, especially in today's world where everything is instantaneous information and it's in your face all the time. Um, it's easy to get a rise out of somebody. And with all the clickbait article titles and everything like that, there's, there always seems to be yet just one other thing that I need to be ticked off about because mm -hmm. the way the way a title was written or the way they have images, you know, posted, you know, this versus that. And um, everybody has an opinion about these things. And mm -hmm. uh, what, what I always find sort of silly about it is that you're arguing and getting, you know, your you're raising your blood pressure over something that's completely fictional. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter in the real yeah. world. It's like, um, and, you know, but uh, people can get very passionate about, you know, their fandoms and their, their likes and their dislikes and, I guess that, you know, that's part of what makes the world go around. So, yeah, I mean, it's understandable to an extent that, you know, you, you get passionate about it because you like it, because you invest yourself in it and you like to know what every item in Batman's utility belt and you want to know what the powers of every Zord are. And, and that's all great. But at the end of the day, when you say who would win Kermit the Frog or Darth Vader, the answer is going to be. Whoever the writers need to win is to tell a story. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's not going to be any more complicated than that. Yeah. Whatever serves the story best, that that's the way it's going to work out. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's. I I don't quite get the, the concept of you know we have to come up with the actual answer because like you said it's totally fictional and it's really meant for fun in in some respect or another. Yeah. But. There are so many people out there with like these really hardcore, strong opinions about this would happen this way because of this, because of this, because of this. And uh, any sort of knock against that really is they, they take it as a personal attack because it is personal to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that they've based some aspect of their worldview on that strong opinion. And when you start chipping away at it or knocking at it, then they get very um, uh, angry or anguished about it. And then you're dealing with a whole different ball of wax. So. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, it doesn't always have to fall into the realm of fiction. People get into counterfactuals historically with almost the same amount of passion and for it's pointless for almost the exact same reason. Yeah, I, I follow a number of uh, historians on Twitter, and to see the back and forth that's happening now uh, about uh, some people who are, you know, wanting to rewrite history and, and stuff, it's it's fascinating to see uh, how how strongly some people will hold to their illusions or delusions or... Um, because they want the world to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 
dealing with truth and dealing with reality is not comfortable. And I think there, there are so many people that would rather be comfortable than to suffer through any amount of discomfort or pain. And we, if you don't learn to deal with pain, if you don't learn to deal with some level of discomfort, then you're going to be in for a very hard road. And I think mm -hmm. there are a lot of adults out there who are just now learning that lesson and are not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I believe it was uh, George Takei was uh, at a convention once speaking about uh, various facets of history. And he made the excellent point that I will remember this for the rest of my life. He's like, if you can acknowledge the mistakes you've made, you can take pride in who you are. The two become a package deal. And that's, those weren't his exact words, but that was the message. Yeah, and, I mean, that, I think a lot of people are so afraid of being wrong mm -hmm. that they will do, they will go to great lengths to remain in their view, you know, the, in, the, in the right, even though they are very wrong. And they're so afraid of admitting that, that they damage relationships, they damage, you know, their personal lives, you know, the, the lives of their relatives and so forth and so on because of this misguided notion that you can't be wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you can't be wrong, I mean, how do you grow? I mean, you have to learn to make a mistake. You have to, I mean, heck, uh, you know, going back to pop culture, I mean, that's, that's a big element of the story of Batman in Batman Begins. You know, why mm -hmm. do we fall so we can get back up? And mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people forget that. And uh, or, you know, they only they only view it in a very narrow lane. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, the, the wonderful thing about what I'm involved in as far as writing and as far as being a part of this surreal sort of pop culture world is that you get to see how it touches on a lot of different things. It's not just Power Rangers. Uh, uh, because you have to know a lot of other things if you want to understand what Power Rangers is all about. And uh, the way that things ripple outward, the way, you know, the big spider web that we all are connected to, um, uh, it's fascinating to just, you know, follow some of those threads and see where they go and what you learn and what you can discover. It's, it's great. That's a really good way to put it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and <clears throat> I say... It, there's there's no shame in being wrong. There's, it's it's actually it's how we grow, and and people are not made perfect. And that was one of the first few things I learned as a kid. And I thought that was the same for everybody, but I guess not. I mean, when when I think about the character of Zordon, uh, or when you think about the show, I mean, we we kind of joke around on stage at conventions that Power Rangers is um, it's rated G with extra cheese. It's it's this. <laughs> It's this schlocky sort of um, could never happen in the real world kind of thing. Uh, but, I mean, I think there are some really great archetypes that, uh, that still exist in, in the framework of this kid's television show. Um, the fact that Zordon is unique in, in his mentor capabilities and the fact that he cannot physically help the the Rangers at any point. Uh, he, he can't leave the power chamber. He can't, you know, jump in the middle of the fight to help them out. 
He can't pick them up off the ground when they fall down. The only thing he can do is to, you know, to deliver information that they might need that the, or they might want and, you know, to tell them continually that I believe in you. I know that you can do this. Um, it's, it's a great parental message for anybody who's struggling with a problem and who feels that they're in it by themselves. Uh, you know, if, if they had somebody, you know, if they had their own personal big bloating, floating head in a room somewhere that they could go chat to, uh, and, and somebody who would tell them, you know, I believe in you, I know you can do this. I think, I think that would, you know, benefit a lot of people. So, um, I think it's really interesting that they made certain choices um, mostly out of expediency because the, the episodes were filmed very quickly and the storylines were, were thrown together very quickly. But I, I think they were pulling together some, um, some really unique uh, elements to create this show. And um, they still hold up to, on some level. Um, and that, I think that's why a lot of, you know, fans have a lot of questions about the behind the scenes stuff uh, of what is Zordon's actual backstory? How did he get trapped in the tube and all that stuff, which we were never given. I was never given any information mm. other than the fact that Zordon was uh, a 10,000 year old wizard trapped in a time warp. Go. And that was all the information we were given. So, um, but I, I, I do think that it, it, it's a lot more layered than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. I mean, thinking back to, I, I love the movie, by the way. The movie was, for me, the, the peak of the series is all, and I, honestly, I kind of left it not too long after that because I didn't think it would ever get better than that. But w at the beginning, when Zordon is taken from the chamber and you see him there hurt, that is a moment where I think a lot of kids probably get the idea of, Oh wait, mommy and daddy can get hurt too. That is, it's it's a, a lesson that you don't want to learn, but everybody has to learn at some point. That the the people that look out for you are vulnerable themselves. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, hey, how about I let you go because I know you have a lot to do. But sure. um, I, why don't I just make sure I get uh, my show notes down here? Where can somebody find you if they want to keep tabs on you and check out your writing? Sure. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter at David J. Fielding. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at DJ Fielding underscore Zordon. Uh, I also have my Facebook page. You can just do a search for Zordon and I'll, I'll pop up there. Uh, I also have a, a, an author page on Amazon. If you do a search for David J. Fielding uh, on Amazon, I, my page pop up. Uh, and that's, that's where all of my uh, writing is, is actually being hosted right now. So you can find it there. Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Well, all that's going to be in the show notes on my website and links will be at the end of this episode on both the audio and video versions. Awesome. So I want to thank you again so much for being here. I had, this is a true pleasure of a chat and I would hope that we can do it again sometime. Oh yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good night. I would like to thank DJ Fielding for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. As always, you can get links to our show notes at my website, www.aaronbossig.com. That includes links to DJ's writing, so I suggest you check that out right away. 
for the geek resources section of the show, as well as the community building parts of the show, this time around, we're going to do them both at once. I have opened up an Instagram account for the site. My username is Aaron Bossig, and you can add that to the other social media sections for the site. That'd be Twitter and Facebook. Go ahead and join up if you are on Instagram. And if you've already joined our Instagram or Facebook or Twitter feeds, go ahead and recommend it to a friend. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.